Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Uh, Good morning. Welcome to River of Life Alliance Church. It is a privilege for me and a blessing for me to be standing before you here uh, for the second time in this sermon series. And uh, thanks, thanks to Doug for reminding us that uh, we need to be praying for our search committee uh, as we are in transition looking for a new lead pastor. And I just want to encourage us and remind us that we also need to be praying for uh, our staff members as they lead us through the transition. And uh, let's also be praying for this body. Uh, this body of believers, God, that we, that we would uh, maintain unity through the transition and, main, and be able to strengthen each other through this transition. My name is David Edwards. Uh, if, you, if this is your first time here at River of Life, I'd just like to share with you real quickly uh, that before Pastor Rob left uh, for his new position, he lined out a small preaching team to line out sermons uh, from now through the Advent season. And he asked me if I'd be willing to share a few sermons uh, to give staff members a little break. So that's why I'm here before you today, uh, and I'm excited to dig into God's Word. Uh, Before we do that, I just got to say, I love taking communion. Uh, Even if I only spend 60 seconds of that time during communion just reflecting quietly to myself, on Christ on the cross, Christ on the cross and what he accomplished for me. If I spend just 60 seconds dwelling on uh, confessing my sins to him, if I spend that time uh, thinking about how much Christ sacrificed for me, man, it just refreshes me. And uh, it makes me feel alive in my relationship with Christ. Uh, And I pray that that's the way it is for you, too. Uh, it hasn't always been that way for me. Uh, I'm willing to confess that to you here, that there have been times uh, that I've attended church, and I take communion, and it's just a church routine. Uh, it's more of a refreshment break uh, to break up the hour and a half service. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if that's the way that communion was for you today. Just another routine that we do uh, here in church. Maybe uh, the whole church thing right now feels routine to you. Maybe life in general is feeling routine to you, that your work feels mundane, uh, that your marriage just kind of feels like the same old, same old. And so maybe you are flirting with life's pleasures just to spice things up because life just feels mundane and routine to you. Folks, that's not what God has in store for you. Uh, God desires that we have meaningful relationships with each other and most miraculously with himself. He does not desire to have robotic followers that lack any kind of intimacy with him. We have to remember that the main thing has always been and will always be that God requires an intimate relationship with him. 
And that this relationship that we have with God, it permeates every tradition we do, every worship song that we sing, every relationship we have on this earth. Folks, the main thing has always been, and it will always be, that God desperately wants your heart. That's what God wants. This is the message that we have from today's hero of the faith, Micah. And as we look into the prophet Micah, uh, he doesn't have the craziest story like some of the other prophets, uh, such as Jonah or Ezekiel or Daniel. Um, He doesn't have the craziest story. He's just a guy that refused to let culture uh, and routines define his life. He refused to let that happen. Instead, his relationship with God defined his life. Our main passage today is going to be Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. So go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Uh, But before we dig into Micah chapter 6, verses 8, I'm going to go ahead and share the context of Micah with us. When Micah comes onto the scene, uh, the nation of Israel, go ahead and take us to that context slide there, Eddie. There we go. Thank you. When Micah comes onto the scene, the nation of Israel is split into two kingdoms. The southern kingdom is Judah, and uh, the capital of Judah is Jerusalem. The kings of the southern kingdom still uh, stem from the lineage of King David. They're ordained by God. And there's only two tribes left in the southern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom... We have the the kingdom of Israel, and the capital of Israel actually switched numerous times, depending upon who was the king and which king took power during that time. But during Micah's life, the capital is Samaria. Uh, The northern kingdom quickly uh, fell into worshiping idols. They began to adopt pagan practices of their neighbors. Uh, And Micah, though he is prophesying to both kingdoms, primarily throughout his lifetime became a prophet to the kingdom of Judah because Israel was destroyed during his lifetime, during his time as a prophet. Now, Micah is considered a colleague of the prophet Isaiah. These two uh, were prophesying very similar message to the same group of people during the same time period. And ultimately, what Micah is proclaiming is that the two kingdoms are guilty of many sins. They're guilty of many sins, and God is going to bring judgment down upon them by destroying them. But God is going to leave a remnant of believers, uh, and he's going to restore his kingdom uh, with the perfect king, the coming Christ Now, to paint a picture of the attitudes and the actions of the two kingdoms, I'm going to read out of Micah chapter 3, verses 9 through 11 here real quickly. Again, that was Micah 3, verses 9 through 11. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed, And Jerusalem with wickedness, 
Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. Her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Folks, the Jews became nonchalant in their faith to God. They knew that they were God's chosen people, and they felt like God was bound by his faithfulness to be faithful to them regardless of their actions and their faith. And God would prove that he would be faithful by sending the coming Christ. But that did not come without judgment. And so they, had, they felt like they had this license, this license to sin, uh, because they knew that they were God's chosen people. And so the political leaders and the spiritual leaders, they began to adopt some of the customs and some of the practices of their pagan neighbors. Now, uh, let's pick up Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And go ahead and read along with me here. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the, he- let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of, of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with, 10, 000, with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Folks, even during the Old Testament, the main thing that God desired was not for us to do religious rituals. What he desired was that his people have intimate relationships with each other and with himself. That we act justly, that we love mercy, and that we walk humbly with him. These are our three takeaways. That a right relationship with the Lord is to act justly, is to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Now, verses 1 through 5, God is pleading his case against the Jews. And the hills and the mountains are going to bear witness against it. In verses 6 through 7, Micah anticipates the complaints of the Jews. Uh, the Jews, the Jews are basically saying, "God, how can we please you? Uh, these things, these sacrifices, are not enough for you. How can we please you? What should we do? Should we offer thousands of rams, rivers of olive oil? Should we offer you our firstborn children as a sacrifice to you?" 
Clearly, these things aren't enough for you, God. They're complaining. They're complaining and saying, God, look, you're the one that asked us to offer sacrifices for our sins. Why aren't you forgiving us? It reminds me of a teenager in their house uh, who complains to their parents. And they say, look, I did my chores. I made my bed. I washed the dishes. I was home by curfew. What more do you want from me? And the parents are standing there looking at their son or their daughter really brokenhearted because all they want is their, their child's heart. They just want you to engage with the family. All right, the children, they miss the point. Engage with me at the dinner table. Be a member of this family. And that's God's response to the Jews here. It's a beautiful response. He's basically saying, look, I did not redeem you out of slavery so that you could have a license to sin and do whatever you want. I redeemed you into a relationship with me. That's what I want. What pleases me is when you act justly. When you love mercy and when you walk humbly with me. A right relationship with the Lord looks like these three things. So let's dig into our first point. What does it actually mean to act justly? Some of your translations will also say to seek justice. Now, folks, all of the commentaries that I have read on this say that Micah is speaking towards social justice, to stand up for the oppressed. There are some context clues in the passage that we read earlier. Uh, The leaders of this country, they despise justice. They were accepting bribes. Uh, The teachers were teaching uh, for money when they ought not to. The prophets were telling fortunes uh, in exchange for money. And what they were doing is they were abusing their positions and taking advantage of the poor. Uh, This is not the only place in Scripture that describes justice in this way. Now, Micah is speaking to the same group of people as the prophet Isaiah. So I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 through 7. They're going to give us a little bit more clear picture of what it means to seek justice, to act justly. The context of this chapter is that Isaiah, speaking to the same group of people, is correcting their idea of fasting, yet another religious ritual that they are abusing. So, read along with me. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 through 7. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To lose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide for the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Folks, to break the chains of injustice means that we share our food with the hungry. It means that we clothe the naked. It means that we offer shelter and we welcome the wanderer and the stranger. 
And that interpretation of wanderer and stranger, he's referring to immigrants, immigrants in the nations of uh, Judah and Israel, to not forsake our own family. And folks, uh, this also is not the only place that justice, to seek justice, is described this way. Turn with me to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. It's a little bit more of an obscure book. It's going to follow, let me see there. It's going to follow Haggai. So read along with me again here. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Again, what we see here is that to act justly, to seek justice, is that we provide for the oppressed. We stand up for the oppressed. We don't take advantage of the orphans or the widows or the, um, the foreigners. Folks, we've just looked at three passages in the Old Testament that describe justice as providing for the oppressed. Culturally, we tend to think of justice simply in terms of righting a wrong by issuing a consequence. When... In reality, the justice that God is talking about has nothing to do with us issuing consequences at all. Throughout the book of Micah, the prophet, uh, the prophet Micah is proclaiming that it is God's job to provide this retribution and that it is our job to seek justice, provide for the oppressed, to love mercy and to walk humbly with him. Folks, uh, probably the most clear description of what it means to seek justice is in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, and this is, this is speaking towards the end of times. Uh, we are going to stand before the Lord, and the Lord is going to say one of two things to us. He's going to look at us and he's going to say, When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, You visited me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did unto me. Welcome. Or we're going to stand before the judgment seat and he's going to look at us and he's going to say, I was hungry, but you did not feed me. I was naked, but you didn't clothe me. I was a stranger, but you didn't welcome me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. What you did to the least of these, you actually were doing to me. Depart. Uh, many of you know who Pastor Timothy Keller. He's, uh, he's a famous author, wrote many great books. The Prodigal God is one of my favorite books, and he's a pastor uh, in New York City. He, he goes so far to say that the, the importance of seeking justice is startling. It's startling how important this is that we seek justice. Uh, and this is his quote. He says that if we do not have a relationship with the oppressed, 
If we don't have a relationship with the poor, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, the lowly in social status, then we don't have a relationship with the Lord. That's a pretty bold statement. Folks, it's because God identifies himself with the lowly. He says, this is where I am. I am with the oppressed. If you are not over here with me, then you don't have a relationship with me. Folks, I ask you, do you have a relationship with the oppressed here in the Grand Valley? I challenge you to think about the ministries that are right outside your front door. Folks, the next time you look out your window, wherever you are, and you see the oppressed and your heart aches for that person that you're looking at, stop pitying that person and start seeking justice for that person. And if your heart doesn't ache when you see the poor, when you see the widows, when you see the orphans, when you see the immigrants in this Grand Valley, if your heart doesn't ache for them, then that's a whole other heart issue that you've got to pray about. A right relationship with the Lord looks like seeking justice. Okay? Having a relationship with the oppressed. That's our first point. Number two, a right relationship with the Lord looks like uh, that we love mercy. Now, the Hebrew word here for love mercy is the word hesed. And apparently the English language doesn't actually have a very good translation for the word hesed. Uh, Numerous times throughout scripture, the word hesed is written and it is translated in a number of, uh, a number of different ways. Sometimes it's translated, translated into the word kindness. Sometimes it's loving kindness. Sometimes it's love mercy. Sometimes it's just translated as loyalty. And folks, uh, a better translation of the word hesed is the loyal love that God's people should have for each other. It's the loyal love that we should have for each other. Some commentators will describe it uh, and compare it to the covenant love that God has for us. It is the covenant love that we should have for each other. That is Hesed. That's what it means to love mercy. Uh, it's this idea that we are going to be long suffering in our relationships with each other as a body. It's this idea that we're going to be committed to each other, that we're going to be intimate. With each other. Now, in my life, uh, I will tell you that many of you know Drew and Andrea Keck. Many of you have been blessed by Drew and Andrea Keck. I have been blessed countless times by Drew and Andrea Keck. I was trying to think of examples of what it looks like to actually be Hesed. Um, and I'm just going to share one example with you. Uh, and the way that the Keck family has been loyally uh, loving to my family. Recently, my mother-in-law just passed away. And the day that Jessica got a phone call that her mother was in the hospital, uh, she needed to drive over the mountains to go to Longmont to go be with her. And uh, that day, our car was in the shop overnight. Uh, And so the Kecks, without hesitation, just gave Jessica their car. No questions asked. Within 20 minutes, 
Jessica was on her way over the mountains. Uh, and this was such an amazing blessing because that was the last night that Jessica's mother was lucid. You know, I praise God for that opportunity. Um, and just how sacrificial the kecks were. Just don't even worry about it. Take our car. <laughs> uh, our relationship, you know, I've been here for almost 11 years at this church and I've been in a relationship with them for almost as long. And uh, I could spend all day telling you stories of just how they loyally love my family. Folks, I pray that uh, each one of you is that person to somebody else. That you are loyally loving uh, to the people around you. That you have that kind of person that's in your life as well. Folks, that we are willing to have the kind of commitment it takes to have a covenant love with each other as a body. Because if you're not willing to have that kind of commitment with each other, then I would submit to you that maybe we don't, you don't fully understand God's love for you. The kind of love that is merciful, the kind of love that is caring, the kind of love that is sacrificial, the kind of love that is long-suffering. Folks, that's what it means to love mercy. And that's what it means to have a right relationship with God is that we have this hesed relationship with each other. Our third point. A right relationship with, the, with God means that we walk humbly with him. Uh, in our text, the Jews were no longer walking humbly with God. Rather, they were living however they wanted, expecting God to just clean up their messes. Micah chapter 2 uh, verse 11, you can turn there if you'd like real quickly. Micah chapter 2, verse 11, it says, If a liar and a deceiver comes to you and he says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. See, they began to believe that if they continued to offer sacrifices to God, that God would be happy and then they could do whatever they wanted. This comes from uh, the pagan beliefs in their pagan neighbors. It's a pagan belief that as long as we offer the right sacrifices to the gods, the gods will stay off our back and we can do whatever we want down here on earth. We just need to keep them happy. Right? Micah had to remind them. He had to remind them that when God chose them, it was nothing they did to earn God's favor. It was no sacrifice that they did to earn God's favor. When he chose them, he redeemed them out of slavery and into a relationship with him. See, now Micah, Micah still abided by the law. He still offered sacrifices. But Micah did not turn his religious practices uh, into his faith. He didn't turn his faith into his religious practices. But rather, he fasted. He still fasted. He observed the, the Sabbath. He mourned. He observed all the rituals of the law. But he did so as a means to further his knowledge of God and the intimacy of their relationship. He didn't do it to appease God so as to get God off of his back. And when I think of what it means 
to walk humbly with God, the closest thing that I can think of and relate it to is marriage. There are times in our marriage uh, that we are serving each other. As spouses, you're serving each other really well. Uh, There are times in your marriage that you long to spend time with your spouse. There are times in our marriages um, that we just enjoy living life and spending time with each other, right? And then there are times in our marriages that we're not emotionally connected. We're not serving each other, but rather we're doing the minimum so that then I can go pursue my personal desires and do what I want. You don't long to spend time with your spouse. And quickly, life feels sort of stuck in the routine of life, stuck in the busyness of just doing your normal routine. Now, just because you are fulfilling the routines of life does not mean that you are walking humbly with your spouse. The same is true for our relationship with God. Just because we are fulfilling these routines does not mean that you are walking humbly with God. That you don't long to spend time with Him. That you're not serving Him. That you're not engaged in this emotional relationship with God. And folks, I would submit to you very similar things that you would do to uh, correct your marriage are very similar things that you would do to right your relationship with God. Very similar things. Now, Micah's job was to proclaim God's message to the Jews and to model this life of a right relationship, to model what it meant to seek justice, to model what it meant to love mercy, to model a humble relationship with God. He refused to succumb to the new uh, norms of culture, Uh, to the pressures from spiritual and political leaders. But instead, what he did is he kept the main thing the main thing. A right relationship with God. That is the main thing. God has always wanted it. He has always wanted just your heart. Now, folks, for the past few months, we have uh, looked at all these different heroes of the faith. And let me tell you something. If you want to be a hero of the faith... All you got to do is have a right relationship with God. Keep the main thing the main thing. That's what it takes to be a hero of the faith. And does your relationship with the Lord look like these three things? Do you have a relationship with the oppressed? Do you have a covenant loving relationship with the people here? And do you walk humbly with God, engaged in this relationship with him? Now, folks, uh, before we close, I'd like for us to just spend a little bit of time in prayer as a body. Uh, And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you guys to just turn to your neighbors, uh, the people sitting around you in groups of two, three, four, five. uh, And I'm going to ask you to pray. Uh, As we go to the polls this Tuesday, we are going to uh, be voting on Uh, leaders and policies that will be directing our country. And we as a body, I'd like for us to just take time to communally pray for our country. Um, And that we would maintain our right priorities 
folks, as we come before the Lord and as we pray, let's not be so distracted with political frustration that we lose sight of the main thing. And that is only that only authentic relationships with God and his people will create the kind of spiritual revival that we really want to see. So, uh, on the screen, what I've got is I've got four bullets for us to pray uh, together as a body. Uh, first, let's pray that the American church would strive to create spiritual, spiritual revival through acts of justice and loving mercy. Number two, let's pray that the American church would walk humbly with God. Number three, uh, let's pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom for our local, our state, and our federal uh, political leaders. And uh, most importantly, people, let's pray for their salvation. Number four. Okay? Let's keep the main thing the main thing. So, uh, take a few minutes, check your heart, and uh, pray with your neighbors. Okay? Go ahead and do that.